and we will jump into the lesson this morning. Father God, we love you. We thank you for your, your just uh, amazing love for us, your care for us, your sustaining us in Christ. Um, we, we thank you now for this opportunity to once again encourage each other to stand fast in this world for you, to be faithful, um, give us wisdom, discernment, um, and then boldness, as we'll see today, that we need and, and can only come from you and, and your spirit in us. So we pray, God, you just move today in power, and we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so today we're kind of taking a turn here and going to be looking more at a practical application. We've looked at a lot of different worldviews. There's many more we could look at, um, but I think we get the gist, right? <laughs> Bottom line is worldviews. Uh, are something everybody has. Everybody has a presupposition of how they look at the world, a lens whereby they view the world. And we've seen most of those, uh, of course, are secular, what we call secular, meaning they are basically uh, going to be human-based. They're going to be something that tries to ignore God and basically uses man's reason and knowledge as a basis for life. Um, and, and purposely want to ignore anything to do with the metaphysical or spiritual or theological in, in life. So anyway, having said that, humanism, um, uh, gosh, all existentialism, positivism, pragmatism, pantheism, all, all down the line, those kind of things is, is really the, the philosophies that most of the people that we talk to, even ourselves sometimes, think out of because the water we swim in is just saturated with this kind of enlightenment um, and post-now enlightenment thinking. And that's why the Christians have got to build each other up, continue to feed ourselves with the truths of God's word, because that's where the source of our worldview is. That's how we view the world uh, from a biblical perspective. Having said all that, today I just kind of want to encourage us on being a courageous Christian in a post-Christian world. And we've talked about post-Christian, we've talked about post-modern, that's the time that we're living, kind of a, a place where the world um, aggressively denies the Bible, aggressively would deny any supernatural things for the most part. And, and so we need to still be courageous though, right? As, as, as God's people placed in this world at this time, God didn't make a mistake. You and I were born when we were born, live where we live, work where we work, have the family we have <laughs> for such a time as this. So, having said that, let's look today at 1 Peter 3, verses 14 and 15 at the top of your sheets there. says this, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. So again, these are very fitting words for um, obviously the people in Peter's day that were suffering persecution. Very oppressive against those who would worship Christ and Christ alone. It was very oppressive for those who would say the emperor is not God. The emperor is not the king of kings and lord of lords, which was a title that you had to ascribe to the Roman emperor. And so Christians were plunged into this place of saying that Jesus alone is Lord. And so you can see how at Thanksgiving meals that became awkward, right? I mean, you can see what I'm saying here. This became, it became difficult to be a consistent believer in, in Christ and live out your faith. 
And so, so Peter's encouraging uh, each other, just like today we find ourselves in similar situations. Don't be fearful of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So there's a lot in this verse. I kind of wonder if any of you can think of a time now where it's uh, kind of been a little awkward or you can sense maybe over the past 10, 15 years even of the uh, increased, man, what's going on with this thing? The increased awkwardness when it comes to standing for your faith, standing for or living out, simply living out, just being, just, just living a life that honors Christ, as, as Peter says. Has anybody noticed anything about that, just in your own personal life? Just raise your hands. Yeah, okay. So I, I was going to ask like for an experience if you want to share for a moment, but we, we may not have time. But um, what I'm saying is like, does everybody understand you understand this phrase when somebody says water cooler talk, right? Or as you're talking at the water cooler, what does that imply? Yeah, work, right? You're, you're sitting, you're at work, at your water cooler. Uh, if you're in high school, you're playing soccer and you're at the water cooler. But I mean, if, if uh, uh, for, for most of us, the water cooler would apply conversations had kind of at break times or lunch times at work when you're around the, the cooler, water, coffee, whatever. And that, that is the time where things can get a little bit um, dicey for believers because especially, I, I think, I don't know if, now this is what I mean. I know it's early in the morning and we've all had a lot of turkey this week, but we, we, we cannot deny a trend in those who would have opposing values to God's morality, being a little more brass and unashamed to speak about it. And, and that's really where worldview comes in. Because again, as we said all through this class, all of that, those ideas and ideologies are coming from somewhere. They, those, those are not just in a vacuum. They're not just flying out of people's mouths. There has been a, a, a placing of a, of a view or, or a presupposition in someone's mind. They're, they're hearing things. They're reading things. They're being um, inundated by, by, quote, knowledge or, or ideas. And then they're looking at the world through those ideas. So again, what you value and what you place your beliefs in is, is going to determine how you behave and how you think and how you speak. So that's what we're noticing, right? Is that this world is, is really influenced, obviously, by a secular mindset. And, and Peter's dealing with that here. And we have to deal with it. So one way that we can be ready to give an answer. I guess what I'm asking too is, is based on this verse, has anybody ever been kind of found yourself put on the spot as a Christian where people literally say, well, why do you believe that? You don't have to tell the story, but just raise your hands if you've ever had this moment where you're like, whoa, right? Um, <laughs> why do I believe that? Because again, the other, the, the other side of the equation, the, the people with that worldview of secularism many times have a lot of information to spew and to give you as to why they think this is right, and that is right, and it's my right, and whatever else. And so this is what Peter's telling us. We as Christians must not cower. We, we don't just have to be quiet. We don't just have to be intimidated. We can be prepared to give an answer for what we believe, 
okay? And this is the important thing about living out our, our Christian life. And again, he puts there at the end, yet do it with gentleness and, and respect. So we're not talking about being angry, militant, uh, troublemakers. We're talking about being loving, meek, which means power under control, and yet bold at the same time, willing to speak and give a reason for what we believe. Having said that, one of the things that we need to look at is the lies. As you see on the board, don't buy the lies. Don't buy the lies. And so for, for, for at least the more recent centuries, the, the, the enemy has relied on this, that, that Christians would be intimidated by the lies that are told by a society overall or a culture, and we will be silenced. Uh, and not speak forth the truth and not be the light and the salt that Christ has told us to be. And actually not even be in the world anymore, but go hide in monasteries or more reclusive ideas of say, all right, we're going to leave the world, we're going to pull away from the world because we're no match for the world. I mean, you know, we can't take them on. So let's just go hide uh, somewhere. And that's not what Christ called us to do. He said, you are in the world and I have prayed for you in this world. I've actually sent you out into the world to be the light and the salt. So you're in the world, but not of the world. So four lies today. That's all. We're just going to look at these four lies um, that seculars want Christians to believe. And most Christians have swallowed these hook, line, and sinker. Yeah, we, we really have. First one. Here's the first lie. Reality and fact cannot coexist with faith and religion. So we talked about this, and again, this brings us back to what one of our early lessons was, and that is the great divide that secularists want to set up through uh, this, this philosophical um, division, right? This upper level, lower level, or this private sphere of life that we keep up here out of the way, tucked away in the attic, and then the living space, the public living space in the, quote, real world. So... This division, what it does is it puts things like faith and values on this top level. That's your opinion is what they would say. That's just your opinion. And everybody can have opinions and everybody can have faith in something and everybody can have your values, but you better not bring it down to the living room. (laughs) You better not bring it down to the the living area of the, quote, public space. So I'll put that to remind us, this is the private space that has been developed. And again, the the purpose of the enemy is to keep God's people who are going to at least try to live out God's truth separate, right? They want to keep that up here, not in the daily arena of ideas, not, not, not participating in the arena of ideas in the public sphere. So here they would say, therefore, there's only room in the real public sphere for facts, right? For, for, for facts and reality, quote, they would say, and science and all those things down there. So do you, do you do everybody remember this, right? This is like one of our first uh, lessons. And so, again, most secularists, they're not going to, they're not going to just blatantly attack Christianity uh, it's getting more and more that they do, but they're kind of savvy still. The, the attack uh, most secularists would direct at um, Christians would not be an outright attack. Instead, they would consign it to being 
your opinion, and you're, you have a right to your opinion. You can think what you want to think, and you can, you can worship the way you want to worship. It sounds so nice, doesn't it? How nice of them to concede to us the ability to worship the living God who holds their breath in his hand. Does that, you see what I'm saying? Again, this is so crazy how Christians who claim to believe the Bible and believe in the sovereign God allow the enemies of God to put us up here <laughs> tucked away and, and intimidated to actually practice our faith. And again, that, that's, the, that's the point. What they've also said is they've made us buy the lie that Christianity, being a, a faith, is something you just keep to yourself, right? And you, you can worship God in your churches, right? Your religion, keep it in your churches, keep it in your houses, but don't practice it. Don't live it out in the real world. But this is the thing, right? And by the way, I'm using this word religion. I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring the word back. I know it's had a bad rap, right? It's all about relationship, not religion. I know we've said all that. But let me say this. The word religion is really a good word. It simply means this, this utmost devotion to something, right? So religiously doing something. You've heard of somebody, he does it religiously, right? He, he goes to McDonald's and gets a cup of coffee religiously every morning. What does that simply mean? Well, he's faithful to get his coffee every morning at McDonald's, and he practices that. He's, he, he's consistent with that. That's what religion is. It's being faithful to the God we say we believe. It's actually living out actively what we say the Holy Spirit and the gospel has done inwardly. Does this, does this make sense? So, so religion is not just a totally bad word. If it's dry, dead religion, that's different, or man-made religion, but religion is the, the faithful adherence to something. We're going to talk about that more in a moment. And for Christians, the Christian religion is a faithful dedication and devotion and adherence to our Lord God in heaven and his commands, and living it out, practicing it. And so for, for, for the world to say as a Christian, you can be a Christian but not live it out, that's an oxymoron. It doesn't work. Genuine Christianity means living out our lives for Christ. So, and yes, if you want to, again, use that scary word, it means being religious, being devoted to the God who saved us. Does that make sense? Amen. And, and so the idea, again, is separating religion and faith from fact and reality. And the problem that they forget is that every great thinker, every, basically, look, from, from founding fathers and other scientists of the modern or pre-modern and into the modern world, like Newton and other scientists, knew there was a God. They believed in God. And science to them was not a dividing line. It was the way that we discover more of the amazing creation of God. Not a way to discount the creator and his creation. So, so they, they, what I'm saying is for centuries, fact and faith were inseparable. This is, do you see what I'm saying? In, in a society, fact and faith. Religion and public life went hand in hand. It, again, look at the documents of our founding 
fathers, this country, how they, they, they formed a government. And yes, there are some, some spheres of where the government takes care of secular order in a, in a society, and obviously the church preaches and does things, but they were never really a, a separation in the sense of the whole separation of church and state, right, which is found in one letter. That's a whole other story. Anyway, the idea is, though, that the, the, the government is God's ordained means of guarding and carrying out his commands. And so faith and religion always, historically, were hand in hand. So we were buying into these lies after the Enlightenment that, nope, they can't be. You've got to consign them to separate places. So we as Christians have to be bold, faithful. And this is, again, why we have to appreciate believers who are willing to take on the cases, whether they're lawyers like our very own, uh, well, yes, yeah, she is our very own, just not here anymore. Um, um, Rebecca, for Pete's sake, Rebecca Durham, who works for the Attorney General. I don't know if you all know, many of you do know this. She's, she's on the team with the Attorney General in Indiana, and, and she's a lawyer. And she's giving herself to say, I want to make a difference for the kingdom, right, in this world, bringing back, in a sense, and, and taking away the separation of faith and the public sphere. And uh, I, one of the big uh, things that we're excited about is that she was on the team that recently defeated <laughs> um, the satanic church in Indiana. They, the satanic church was trying to overthrow Indiana's strict abortion bans, right? They're stricter, obviously, in Ohio, but I mean, they at least still have a ban on abortion in times where the satanic church filed a lawsuit against Indiana, the state of Indiana, saying that that hindered their practice of religion, aborting babies, <laughs> <laughs> what, what they, they, they want to do, right? And uh, as the news article said, which is pretty, I'm going to go ahead and say this, they, it, the news article reported that when they went to court, and again, Rebecca was on this team of lawyers who were fighting this, the news report came out after the case and said that the Attorney General of Indiana and his team beat the hell out of the Satanists in court. That's exactly, that was just the case, that, that was just the, the headline. And so what I'm saying is that's what God does. He uses us in this world to bring about his kingdom. We're praying, like, kingdom come, thy will be done. We, we pray that, right, in our churches. And that's where they want us to stay with that prayer, in your churches. Just get in your church, get in your attic, get in your upper level, out of the way of the public, and pray, Lord, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The way God's kingdom is coming into this world is when his people are vocally and lovingly yet publicly living it out in the world. Do you see that? So do not buy the lie that there's this division and that faith and facts cannot live together. Number two, second lie. Science and secular reason are purely neutral and unbiased. Wow, what a crock of, what, yeah, what, you say, okay, Greg, you cussed enough today, you're right, <laughs> but what a bunch of baloney, right, and this is the, this is what we get, science, it's unbiased, fair and balanced, right, it's, it's neutral, and, and, and so they'll try to say that, right, but here's the thing, and again, since the Enlightenment, that's been the push that, hey, science is the only real balanced thing. Science is the only real neutral source of, of truth, totally independent from any philosophy or religious influences, totally free of any of that. 
here's the truth, folks. Again, there is no natural source. Uh, I'm sorry, neutral. <laughs> there is no neutral source for knowledge and truth. There is no neutral source, completely neutral source, for knowledge, news, or truth. I'm just saying it. We're all going to be human beings who've been saturated, and we're going to look at things with a certain color. I want to just kind of reiterate what Nancy Piercy says in her book, Total Truth, here, um, that I've mentioned throughout this class, and some of you have gotten that book and are reading it. Good book. I recommend it again, Total Truth by Nancy Piercy. Basically, she says this, if you press any set of ideas back far enough, eventually you reach some starting point. This is why it's a lie to say that any, that, that any scientific um, theory or um, news or, or reason, reasoning that the world uses is purely neutral. It's not because any idea, any ideology, any worldview, that if you push far enough back, there's going to be a starting point, a resting point, something that they're basing that fact on or that what they're calling a fact on, right? There's a foundation. There's a presupposition. So, so something has to be taken as self-existent at some point, right? This is what, 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 what we must admit, that at some point you're going to go all the way back to where something is just self It just is. This is this is the foundation for what I'm saying. It's the ultimate reality and source of, of everything else that I'm saying. I'm, I'm just speaking. This is what every worldview is going to go back to. They're going to ultimately say, this is what I really believe at the heart of all things. There is no reason for it to exist. It just does. So this is, again, she's setting up the idea that every worldview is going to go back to this point where, okay, here's my my ultimate authority for things, and it just is. It, this is it. Now, let me give you, she goes on to give some examples of that. For, for the materialist, the ultimate reality is matter, right? For the materialist, who, who, who only looks at the physical things, well, his ultimate reality is not supernatural or God. His ultimate reality for all things is matter, but that's his God. That is it. That's, the, that's what everything goes back to. Does that, does that make sense? For, for the pantheist, the ultimate reality is a spiritual force, an ambiguous spiritual force, right? Or substratum. And the goal of that pantheist is through meditation to somehow reconnect to that spiritual force. And there are millions of people in this world through many world religions that are pantheistic who are living their whole lives looking at the world through that worldview. And at the bottom line, whatever they're saying, whatever ideas they have, however they're raising their family or whatever choices they're making, it goes back to their one unchangeable, you know, authority that doesn't, it just self-exists, and it's called this idea of a force. There's some force out there. And then you, you, she goes on to talk about uh, the Darwinist. Think about that. For the Darwinist, biology is the ultimate, Right? For the Darwinist, that's his final authority. That's where he goes back. When you take his ideas, they go all the way back and are finally going to rest in biology. That's the ultimate. And everything, even religion and morality, is reduced for the Darwinist to being a product of some evolutionary process. So that's how they look at the world. Everything that's going on is just reduced at some point back to its first cause, which for the Darwinist is evolution, the materialist is matter, 
just all, I hope you, we get the idea. The pragmatist, it's going to be just what works. But that is the reason nothing can be neutral, folks. That's the reason nobody can come to you and say, my ideas are solely unbiased and solely neutral. And you guys, you're coming at this from this uh, Bible or this spaghetti monster in the sky. I'm just using atheist arguments. Who have, that's what they've accused Christians of believing. Is your fairy tale God? That's, that's your uh, basis. Our basis is unbiased. We have no we're neutral. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we're going to see that leads us right to this next idea and this next point, and that is this, the next lie, that secular worldviews are not religions. That's a lie. <laughs> That's, this, is where we, this is where I've been waiting to get, right? This is it. The enemy will say religion is some false foundation. We are scientific we, we, you know, we are those who use reason and fact, and we're unbiased and neutral. Religion is, is biased and has some, you know, um, unseen foundation, right? So they try to make religion this, this, the, the enemy itself, and yet here's the thing. Every worldview, every ideology is a religion. Wow. Amen. Byron is connected this morning. I love that. But no, it is. Look, here, here's the point. Because at, at the end of the day, whatever, you're, whatever somebody's telling you, whatever they're pushing, they put their faith in something, right? It, that the passion does not just come from ideas themselves or, quote, facts. The passion that they're living with to push their ideas is because they put their faith in something. So we're going to hurry up and look at this. They put their faith in something. Augustine taught this, that when we turn away from God, when we turn away from God as human beings, we turn to something else. This is why there's nothing neutral. And that everything for human beings, as far as a place of operating from, some idea or philosophy or worldview, is their religion. Because human beings were made to worship. We created with that desire to worship because that's why God made us, to worship him. And so when man turns away from God, Augustine said, he automatically turns to another God, a false God, right? That idea is brought farther when he says, therefore, when he turns from God-centered knowledge, his heart and mind become darkened, and he begins to rationalize his sinful choices based on alternative sources of knowledge and truth. Hmm. Basically constructing a new religion, Augustine says. And so there it is. It is. It, man, instead of worshiping the one true God, constructs his own religion and God or gods, and therefore religion to worship that God are those gods. That's exactly what Romans 1.18 is all about. I just want us to can make this connection. We've already been through Romans. We've talked about this, but I just want us to connect this. This is exactly what the Bible has told us. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So Paul here assumes, he doesn't have to prove it, he assumes the existence of absolute truth. 
<laughs> there is truth, period. It exists outside of mankind. It's absolute. And yet man suppresses it. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for the, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, again, Paul has put the whole world on, in, in a courtroom. All mankind is in a courtroom. and Paul is making the case here saying that all humans knew God but they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. So this, again, is that turning away in the human heart. I'm turning away from the God who made me, the God of absolute truth. I'm suppressing that. I'm turning away from him. They knew God, but they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to, to be wise science and experts claiming to be wise they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal god for images resembling mortal man hmm. and birds and animals and creeping things and that explains why society unashamedly calls things that are bad good and things that are good bad this is why because we have turned away from the truth of god constructed man, in general mankind rebels against the truth of god creates his own gods that will therefore justify his immorality and he worships those gods we see it today They're, the worshiping of the body the worshiping of the identity the worshiping of my autonomy as a human being that's the religion being pushed today the prophets are everywhere the doctrines are being pushed Catechism is happening. <laughs> it's a religion. And in a society that moves away from God's standards for absolute truth, and instead they, they look for something else, will always become darker and darker. It's just going to happen. Romans 1, 28 through 32 goes on to say this. I just want us to get this real quick. And since they did not fit to, or, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. This is what it all comes back to, folks. Mankind refuses to acknowledge God as sovereign and that his, his truth is the only truth. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, uh, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Why? Though they knew God's righteousness. See, this again, this is the condemnation. They knew God. They know that in the heart of hearts, they know God, his righteous decrees, and that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, they not only rebel against God, create their own religion, and then do those things that God says not to do. They approve of those who practice them as well. They promote them. And this is just, again, mankind all of mankind that turns from God and creates his own religion, our worldview. It begins to then justify their actions. This, again, is why there's such an evangelism in this thing, right? This is why gay marriage was pushed so much, because in the heart of the heart of the homosexual, they felt like they didn't belong to the natural society, as it were. Why? Because marriage is God's plan. And they're outside of God's plan. 
So somehow they have to legitimize this behavior that is not God's plan. Now, they can't do it, even by having, quote, marriage, because that's not marriage, and you can't redefine what God's already defined. So, again, in their futile attempts, there's still no happiness. The same with transgenderism. Those who have the surgery, do the transition, all these things, they are finding more and more now people coming out saying, I am still miserable. There is no lasting joy or happiness in my religion of self, really is what they're saying. And this is what Augustine meant by the, the image of two cities that he talked about. Ever since the fall, the human race has been divided into two distinct groups or living in two distinct cities. Those who follow God and submit their minds to his truth and those who set up an idol of some other kind and refuse to submit to God and organize their own religion over here. The two cities. You're either living in, in the city of God by his grace, the kingdom of, of God, or you're in the kingdom of darkness. That's what the Bible talks about, right? There's only two places. Now, finally, and I hope we understand that, that, that idea again, that this, this, this worldview that people are telling you, they have a religion. And they're putting their faith in something. And they're resting in it. And they're believing it. For the evolutionist, his faith is in Darwin and his theories. And, and he believes it by faith. By faith, they believe that. There is no proof. No scientific proof at all. The earth is billions and billions and billions and billions of years old. Nobody really knows how old. Billions and billions. And then billions and billions and billions, somehow there was a big bang. Nobody knows how, where, why, what. But it just happened. We know this. How? By faith. By faith. That's how you know it. You weren't there. I wasn't there. So what's it take? It takes faith. So evolution is a religion. By faith, they believe that. And man, they are outdoing us in the faith, I'm telling you, because it takes a lot of faith to really believe the theory of evolution wholeheartedly. To me, folks, it takes a lot less faith to simply believe in the beginning God, a sovereign God designed and created and sustains his universe. And I take that by what? By faith. I wasn't there either. So do you, and the whole point of this is that whether it's evolution or humanistic ideologies or Christian ideologies, they're both religions and they both take faith. Do you see that? So don't let them hoodwink you into keeping our faith to ourselves why they propagate their faith their religion let us all be faithful to be honest and speak and here it is the bible finally the fourth point this is where we come to our, our our weapon this class must go longer next time the bible is not relevant that's the next that's a huge lie but that's what they want us to get the bible's not relevant so don't use it they take it off the table right away. Do you see that? Before we even enter the arena of ideas to participate, the enemy strips us of our weapon and says, okay, now let's talk. <laughs> Why, they have all of their documentation and weapons and whatever they want to bring in. But they right away take away the weapon of the Christian and the very foundation of the universe, the very word of God. How did God make the world? He spoke it in 
to existence. So of course the enemy wants us to take away that weapon and put it away and be ashamed of it and, oh, it's just not relevant. Folks, the most effective tool we have is God's word. The greatest trick of the enemy is to disarm us. And the Bible has more. Here's the thing. They'll say, well, the Bible is just a book written by men. Oh, Bible can't be trusted. Oh, you know, we, we got, you know, there's no evidence. Bah! Which we need to stand up and say the same thing. There's no evidence for your evolution theory either. But no, here's the point. The Bible does have more evidence than most academic books that are accepted by Ivy League colleges in, in our world. I mean, Thucydides' history of the Peloponnesian World. Let's talk about, about that. The, the history of the Peloponnesian War, accepted by every major university, is being authentic and reliable history. Has four, it was written in 413 B.C., and it has 50 manuscripts. So again, what I'm trying to promote to you and let you know, as Christians, the Bible has more verified manuscriptic evidence to support it than any other ancient work of antiquity on earth. Oh, the Bible's not relevant. No, the Bible is the most relevant document on this planet. And we can say that, folks. Don't be afraid. Don't be, don't be afraid. And, and here's my point. Okay, 50 manuscripts back up Thucydides' History of the Peloponnesian War. Caesar's Gallic War, another popular book in academia, academic literature that's accepted by all universities as being relevant. 58 B.C. it was written. It has 251 manuscripts to give evidence to its existence. And you can, you know, obviously a manuscript is the, the, the copies of the original. None of these have originals, by the way. These are all found in manuscriptic copies of the, of the original. And, and then the books that we have today are from those copies. And that's where you base your evidence on how many and reliable um, manuscriptic evidence you have. Copies. Tacitus. The, uh, Tacitus's Histories and Annals. Another book that all history uh, and civil, civic, social studies schools would accept, our departments would accept as being totally viable. It was written around 100 AD. It's 33 manuscripts. Okay. And this is pretty good. There's manuscriptic evidence to look back and say, okay, yeah, this, this, this exists, and it's verified. The New Testament, written from 40, roughly 40 AD to 98 AD, has over 25,000 manuscripts to back it up. So again, and this is just one of the, I'm just throwing this out. Not that we base all of our faith on just academic proof, but, but this we do not have to be ashamed of the Bible, folks. We do have to say, oh, it's irrelevant. No, it is the most historical and historically proven and relevant, ver, ver, relevantly verified book on this planet. Hebrews 4, 12, and 13, we'll end with this. This shows us where our power is, folks. And this is why the enemy doesn't want us to use the Bible. This is why they want to take it off the table. It's not our opinions, folks, at the end of the day. It's not our apologetics skills, our arguments of reason. Yeah, use them, that's fine. But at the end of the day, the only thing that will change the hearts of human beings is the power of God's word. And when that is removed from the equation and taken out of the arena of, of the exchange of ideas, we have no power. It's my opinion against their opinion. So notice what the Bible says about itself. Hebrews 4, 12, and 13. For the word of God is living and active. That, that's, that's the word ergase, where we get the word energy. The word of God is 
energy itself. It's active. It's, it's living. That, that word again, ergeis, means to, to be effective in causing something to, to come about or to happen, such as the change of somebody's heart and mind. It's the Word of God that has that power. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul. It penetrates, is what it's saying, the very soul and the spirit of somebody, of the joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It gets right to the motives of people. It's powerful, folks. It's, it's not our words. It's God's words that will change somebody's heart. And when we don't use them because we're ashamed of them or somebody tells us they, they're not real, here's my advice to us. You just say, I don't care what you say. Hear the word of God. Do it nicely. But just don't even say, I don't care what you say. Just speak the word of God anyway. Just speak the word of God because that's the power. And because uh, look what it goes on to say here. Again, the word of God is living. That Bible, not the, not the physical leather and paper, but the words on that page are alive because they are God's morality and strength and truth and power and energy. And so verse 13 goes on to say, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. When we speak the authority of God's word, we may kind of lose that particular battle or they may shrug their shoulders at us and walk away. But the power of the word of God, it cannot be tamed. It cannot be stopped. It will, it will do what it's, it was set out to do. It will perform the work and accomplish what it has set out to accomplish. So do not be ashamed, my friends. How to be courageous in a post-Christian world is to do it just like our brothers and sisters did in the Christian world. Speak the word of God faithfully. Do not be ashamed. Do not fall for the lies of the world. We have more right and more truth and more evidence on our side than they do. Why? Because we serve the living God who they've abandoned. And his word is powerful enough to blast into their lives and transform them, transform them just like it did us. Let's pray. Father God, we need your grace to be faithful, to be prepared to give an answer to those who ask. And that answer is found in your word. Let us saturate ourselves in your word and be faithful to trust you to bring those words out in times and situations where we can bring you glory. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Whew, right to the wire. Have a great 30-minute